Hey, listener, are you happy with your current chicken wings? Do you wish you had something a little saucier? If you answered yes, then it might be time for you to break up with your old chicken wings and get a new honey. Lemon pepper wing from Popeye's. Share the wings with your friends so they can see it's time to move on, too. Head to Popeye's and get six-piece honey lemon pepper wings for $5.99. At participating U.S. restaurants, price may vary. How did that make you feel, knowing that you were walking into an interview where a decision might have already been made? It was a range of emotions. Uh, humiliation, uh, uh, disbelief, um, uh, anger. Um, I've worked so hard to get to, to, um, to where I am from a, uh, in football, to become a head coach. Um, put 18 years in, in this league, and it was... Uh, uh, to, to, to go on what was going to be a, what, what felt like or what was a sham interview, I was, uh, I was hurt. And, but you uh, went knowing that you probably weren't going to get it. Why, I did. why did you continue to go? Uh, I think uh, I, I, there's still hope. Maybe it's called it, call it the audacity of hope. Um, and uh, I, I was, you know, I have a belief that, you know, there's good in people. I, I just do. The Giants say they are pleased and confident in the hiring process. Uh, I get the sense from the lawsuit and from you right now that you had a feeling like, here we go again. This wasn't the first time you felt discriminated against in the league. Is that yeah, true? Yeah, I mean, I've, I mean the, rule, the Rooney rule is in, intended to uh, you know, give minorities an opportunity to sit down in front of uh, ownership. But I think what it's turned into is um, an instance where guys are just checking the box. Um, and that's been the case. I've been on some interviews in the past that... Um, where that's, I've had that feeling. There's you know, always no way to, to, to know for sure, but, um, but you know. I understand the risk, and yes, it was a difficult decision, and I went back and forth. Um, and like I said, I, I, I'm, I love coaching. I do. Um, it's something that um, I'm passionate about. It brings me joy, um, and I love helping young people reach their potential and become the best versions of themselves. I'm gifted to do that. Brian. Um, but this is bigger than, than that. We didn't have to file a lawsuit for, for the world to know that there's a problem from a, from a hiring standpoint in regards to minority coaches in the National Football League. The numbers speak for themselves. Right. Uh, we filed the lawsuit um, so that we could create some change. Um, and that's important to me. I think we're at a fork in the road right now. You know, we're either going to keep it the way it is mm-hmm. or we're going to go in another direction and actually make some real change where um, we're actually changing the hearts and minds of those who make decisions to hire uh, head coaches, um, executives, etc. And we shall see if Brian Flores' landmark lawsuit actually leads to a sea change uh, when it comes to the league's employment practices. Um, yesterday, during our show, uh, the news broke uh, of the lawsuit that could break the NFL as it relates to its institutional racism. And uh, I got to beg your pardon off the top of the show, Michael. All right? Let me just tell you right Why's now. That? Why's that? I'm edgier than usual today. I'm just, maybe yeah. it's, it might be because it's Black History Month. Might be because I worked yeah. my way through the entire lawsuit last night and today. Yes. So I'm edgier yes. than usual today. So please don't take it yeah. personally. Having said all that, there's a lot of things written in this lawsuit 
that are universal and personal to all of us as black men and black Thank people. You. So maybe that's why it's yes. got me extra fired up. You worked your way Actually, through go it. Back, what were your feelings after, go back to after that having read the whole thing? I'm going to tell you. read the whole thing, you, what's hey, your feelings? Let's go back, guys. Let's go right back to that headline you just showed from the New York Times. And, and I'm a fan of the New York Times, so this is not, um, this is not a, uh, a, a slash attempt uh, to take down the NYT. I'm a subscriber. But Mike, re- this is not supposed to be, this story is not supposed to be comedic. It's not supposed to have comedic elements. Read that subhead journalism talk jargon. There's a bold part and then there's underneath. The former head coach of the Miami Dolphins claimed in a class action lawsuit filed Tuesday that, wait for it, the NFL discriminated against him and other black coaches in their hiring practice. Well, hey, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, as he said, we don't need a lawsuit for that. We don't need a class action lawsuit for that. He got it absolutely right. That ain't even a headline. We always talk about headlines should advance the story. That don't advance the story because that is clear. That's not that is indisputable. Of course, of course, because the numbers do speak for themselves. But as as I look at this, uh, as I look at this lawsuit, uh, Mike, you're right. I thought before I heard Brian Flores say say the same thing, I said, this is consistent with a lot of industries in the United States of America that we just happen to be talking about football in the view of, of black people and everybody else. That's football story. That is the story of corporate America in the United States. So he's right when he says I'm speaking as a football coach, but there are many people uh, black people in the United States who have the same experiences in their professions. And, and an amen goes right there. But when I got through it, I had two or three things that I wanted. I wanted action items immediately. The first action item I wanted was for the New York Giants to be made an example of. I want the New York Giants to get the highest fine possible. Not that it will change their heart, not, will, not will, won't change their mind, but I want them to get the highest fine possible and I want them to lose draft picks. Since you gain draft picks from talking to and hiring black folks, well, if you're not gonna go by the, the, the spirit of the Rooney Rule, you need to be fine and lose draft picks. Shameful for the New York Giants. You're guilty, caught red-handed, hand in a dozen cookie jars. That's one. Two, Stephen Ross, they won't do it because the owners always protect themselves. Stephen Ross called his coach to a yacht and asked him to to throw games. Well, he called him to the yacht and asked him to do something else illegal. That was tampering. No, I'm sorry. That was a tampering one where he wanted him to get Tom Brady. But in another trip, he asked him to lose games on purpose. Didn't Paul Horning, uh, Mike, you're a student of NFL history. Didn't Paul Horning, wasn't he suspended for a year for gambling? Paul Horning, yeah. And, and yeah, yeah, Alex here. So for at least for at least, for a year, at least, if not the team, because owners should be held to a higher standard. He needs to be put aside. If that is true, he needs to just be step aside, dude. What are you doing? And I, and I'll say this. I, I mean, there's so much to talk about. I'll, I'll start here because I will go back and forth on this. I mean, there's a lot of takeaways. I was talking to. Uh, uh, I hope you are not offended by this, but. 
Uh, Mike, I was talking to a couple of my white friends uh, last night uh, on television, and we talked about, uh, they were talking about the, the, the Stephen Ross thing. They said, yeah, that's, that's dirty, but I, I don't see how that's racist. I said, okay. Um, uh, I need you to understand that black coaches rarely get opportunities. And you get an opportunity, you're judged sometimes by your win-loss record. Sometimes that doesn't even matter to your employers. You think you're going to get one shot. You're most likely going to get one shot. The numbers back that up. In your one shot, somebody comes to you and asks you to throw games. Um, that is, because that's something you wouldn't do to a white coach. You just wouldn't ask a white coach to do that. And so it is, it's not a, it's not a, a cross burning on your lawn racism. It ain't that kind of racism, but it is racism. And we got to recognize the different faces of it. We got to recognize the subtleties of it and the nuances of it to understand it. If you keep waiting for somebody to come, if, if you're waiting for the boogeyman to come at your door with a club saying, knock, knock, hi, I'm racism, I'm dirty, and I got fangs, then you just got the wrong idea about this thing. There's so much to get into. I want to hear what you have to say. I got a lot of thoughts on this, but uh, you, uh, you take the pass and run with it. They might ask a white coach to tank, but the difference is if a white coach tanked, they wouldn't be used against him later to get fired. The data shows that black coaches are much less frequently hired and far more frequently fired. Um, so this is the case when it comes to Brian Flores and Stephen Ross of damned if you do, damned if you don't. Or in the case of tampering with the high-profile quarterback, which is reportedly Tom Brady, um, Flores would pay that cost if ever caught, if not the fine. And he would be branded a cheater and his career would be over. Um, I'm going to start with the NFL's response to the statement. Uh, response to the lawsuit. It's statement in response to the lawsuit that it was meritless. The NFL basically went, we don't have a racist bone in our body. The NFL basically went, we have black friends. Um, and they took offense and got defensive at this lawsuit, which just goes to show you that this club uh, these clubs, this cartel, that they're going to stick together. So remember, don't forget now, it takes all of us. And we're here to end racism and we're here to inspire change. But how dare you come at the shield? And how dare you call us on our shit? This is without merit. and We're going to defend ourselves. Instead of saying, while we're disappointed that Coach Flores took the litigation route, when it comes to improving diversity in our coaching and executive ranks, we share in his frustration. We've tried to do everything we can to improve what is a problem to anybody with eyes. Our right. alarmingly no, low number of coaches at the coordinator and obviously head coach level. And we would like to and work GM. in concert with Coach Flores. Too. We would like to work in concert with Coach Flores to improve this problem because we acknowledge that there is an issue here. But what what I loved about this lawsuit as I read through it is that 
See, the NFL and, and, and the United States of America, or even the world at large, they had a certain idea of what the racial reckoning, the so-called racial reckoning, uh, in the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd, they thought a racial reckoning looked like uh, pandering, performative yeah. PR campaigns and slogans. But really, this is what it looks like. See, this is chickens coming home to roost. This means it's time to pay the piper because the best part about this lawsuit is if you're so inclined to read it all, it is a history lesson. It's it is great. a history lesson. And let me give you this history Fantastic. lesson. Fantastic. They did throughout a the history job. of protests really in this did. country when it comes to civil rights. Throughout the history of protests in this country when it comes to civil rights and activists, for a long time, we had to be perfect. We had to dress perfectly. We had to behave perfectly. We had to carry ourselves with a certain measure of dignity and respectability. You know, in many cases, it couldn't be a woman plaintiff. Couldn't be a pregnant right. woman. Right. Okay. Yep. See the Montgomery bus boycott, right? Mm -hmm. So in this case, Brian Flores, for some, may not be the perfect plaintiff, but he doesn't have to be because man, oh man, does he have a case? I mean, this lawsuit went back to the history of segregation and discrimination in this league. It went through Kaepernick. Yeah. It went through Gruden and the Washington football team investigation. It went through concussion settlements and race norming. It went through everything because none of this is happening in a vacuum and it laid out cold hard facts 15 of 129 vacancies in the 20 uh -huh. years since the implementation of the Rooney rule or, or 11% have gone to black coaches right now in a league with 70% black players one black head coach four black offensive coordinators 11 black defensive coordinators eight black special teams coordinators, three black quarterback coaches, six black GMs. Okay. And so what we have here is no different than the racial wealth gap in the United States, which continues to grow as more uh, power and more resources are passed down. Whereas in the NFL, the more that these white coaches get a general manager position, or get a head coaching position, the more the more they hook up their boys, literally and figuratively, as in their bloodline, as in nepotism, as in their friends and their bloodline. So this problem is not just a Brian Flores problem. It's not just a 2022 problem. This goes back to the founding of this league. This league was built on institutional racism and discrimination, and Brian Flores is taking all of that energy and laying it at the feet of the NFL right now and saying, I don't just have my own receipts in the form of a drunk general manager who once upon a time was the face of your league, an allegedly drunk general manager right. showing up to a sham interview. I don't have it in the and form of my experience with and my, I relate uh, too. I don't have it in the form of my experience with my former employer. I don't have it in the form of the sham interview and the greatest coach of all time getting his Brian's mixed up. I have it in the form of a hundred years of racism, both anecdotal and empirical evidence. And for the NFL, which needs a Rooney rule and which needs to continue to tweak the Rooney rule and amend the Rooney rule yeah. for the NFL to say it's meritless. In what world? Your actions, your words say that it's not meritless. So once again, when it comes to PR, the NFL fumbled.
and they've already lost this battle in the court of public opinion. Yeah, I mean, meritless. I think meritless was one of the things that, that got me, but beyond that was just really that little details, little detail in there. It, it went on, on and on, talking about the history. As you said, Mike, it's a great history lesson. And for those of us who have, have devoted our careers to, to sports commentary, sports coverage, sports reporting, all whatever you want to call it, a lot of this stuff is not new individually, in a vacuum. None of it's new. We know about race norming. That's been in the news. We know about John Gruden, obviously. Uh, we know about Art Shell and how the league had its first coach, first African-American coach in the modern era. It was, it was in 1989. It wasn't like 1930 or 1950. 1989 was the first time in the modern era the NFL said, we're going to have a black head coach we're going to hire. But all of those things, we know that. But when you see it all together and you're not involved in sports and you are somebody who is just coming into this with, with without the context that we all have, it is fascinating, it's compelling, and it does make the case. But all those details you put out there, one of them just stood out to me. Eric Bieniemy, who is the offensive coordinator, didn't look like it on Sunday, but the offensive coordinator for the number one quarterback in the league, uh, a, a team that has been to four straight conference championship games, I know he's been on a lot of interviews, but it was really startling to me to see 20. Eric Bienem, he's been on 20 head coaching interviews. He's 0 for 20. Yeah. 0 for 20. I, I can't shoot uh, from three-point range, but I, if, if I throw it up 20 times, I'm going to throw one of them in there. I'm going to bank one in. 0 for 20 in head coaching interviews. And what's so unsettling about that, I brought this up yesterday, but I'm just going to go even further because there was even more news today. So... Number one quarterback in the league. Most of the time, if you are a quarterback coach, offensive coordinator, something, if you're on that staff, you're a member of the offense, you've got the number one quarterback in the league, you're moving on. Eric Bieniemy's is 0 for 20. Nathaniel Hackett, O coordinator, Packers, doesn't call the plays. He's the head coach. Quarterback coach from the Packers, offensive coordinator. And I saw another buster today from the Broncos who was on the staff. Hey, 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 none of y'all call plays for Aaron Rodgers, and they're all getting promoted. You don't even have to go league Aaron wide, Rodgers. Michael. Michael, you don't even have to go league wide. You can strictly focus on Andy Reid's offensive coordinators, Eric Bieniemy's predecessors. You can just focus on that if you right. wanted to. Right, and you know, Mike, I'll, I'll say this, um, and I heard a lot. We talked about it a bit yesterday, but I thought about it some more. All right, I, I'll use the example of. Parenting, right? So uh, you've got three kids. I got three kids. You got one boy, and you, you need to pray, uh, throw throw a couple hands up on that one. You got one boy and two girls. Uh, I've got two boys and one girl. Now let me just tell you about boys. Um, uh, yeah, just my boys. Maybe it's just my boys. I'm not going. I'm not going to paint with a broad brush, but I, I'm just going to talk about my boys. Um, their rooms are, are basically side by side. And sometimes I go in there and I'm shaking my head like, what, what have I done? What, what's wrong with y'all? What's wrong with y'all? Like clothes on the floor. <laughs> I mean, the smell sometimes. I'm like, okay, uh, I know it's, it, it, it's 3.30 or, or 5.30. Just, it, just in, 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 into the shower right now. I'm going to supervise and make sure <laughs> you are watching everything you're supposed to watch. So, you know, sometimes I just got to check them on their habits. 
But one of the things I always say, they get so used to me saying this. Sometimes when I say, hey, go find some sweatpants and get dressed, and I will find them digging through the hamper to pull out some pants. And my line to them always is, if it's in there, you don't want it. If it's in there, you want no parts of it. And I think that's what Brian Flores is facing right now. People are saying, well, he'll never coach again. Well, if it's in there, he probably don't want it anyway. If he's going to be a part of this league that views him in a way that is not humane, they don't recognize his humanity. They don't recognize his talent. He's said many times that he's gifted to coach. If they don't recognize the gift that he has, why? What are you actually losing by stepping away from that and calling that out? So what, what, what people are used to, Mike, is being so comfortable with the stench to bring it back home. They're so comfortable with the stench of empire that, uh, hey, it, it can't be better than this. I know there's some ugliness here. I know it's racist. I know that I got to be twice as good, three times as good, and that still may not matter, but it's better in here than it is out there. No, it's not. Well, and thank you, Brian Flores, for disrupting. I like the disruption. Here's here's the thing. He said on CBS this morning, I, I didn't watch his other interviews. He said on CBS this morning that he does still want to coach in the NFL. But he understands the risk that he's taking because it's bigger than football. And damn right it's bigger than football. And in a moment, I want to read a paragraph that speaks to that. That really spoke to me. Um, but I, your point about if it's in there, he doesn't want it. It's funny you say that. I, it reminds me of the conversation about what it means to be an American and, and what it means to be a black American. Yeah. And we have been made to feel like this is not our country when not only is it our country, it's arguably more our country. This entire democracy was built on the black on the backs of black people. This country was built on the free labor of enslaved black people after it was taken from indigenous people. I say that to say Brian Flores should still want to coach in this league because a lot of people look at it like same with Colin Kaepernick. You still want to play? Yeah, I still want to play. This is our league. This league, despite George Preston Marshall and the other owners, their attempts to shut black people out of this league, this league and its success was built on black people, which really Let me infuriating. Though. I'll just interject and say, I don't think he wants to coach in this league. I mean, oh, he wants this to change it. Cle- this right this as, as presently up? constituted. Yes. Oh, but of course, this league, I agree. Yes. No. Okay. Same page. It, well, it, and it's yeah. and, and he, as usual, it's on black people to fix a problem that we didn't create. So yes, hit this league, but wants to make it look different. Wants to change it. But what I was, um, damn, I, I was gonna say something. Well, regardless, um, I lost my train of thought. Point being that. Go ahead and talk. I, I lost my train of thought. I, I, yeah, I'm yeah, not going to sit yeah, up yeah. and search I, for it. I, that's I, my I bad. forgot what I was, I, the point I, I was I, making. I, I threw you up. I threw you up. But that, let me let me say this, and I hope this will uh, bring it back in, so, in some way. Um, when you talk about uh, the response, off the top, you talk about the response of the NFL, and uh, this is a meritless suit, and, uh, you know, diversity has always been important to our core. That was one of the lines that just made me laugh, too, because um, it's ridiculous. 
there were some, certain things that I expected, what I was offended by. What I was offended by was the New York Giants saying, we hired the most qualified coach for us. First of all, hold on, hold on, hold on. You done had like 100 coaches in the last 15 years. So you don't know what the hell you're looking at when it comes to quality coaches. You quite, you, whether it's a white coach, a black coach that you never had, or any other uh, race or nationality, you usually go through them like underwear, and they're done in two years, and then you come back and say, we'll do better, but you don't do better. You got the same people making decisions that made decisions on the previous coaches. So what the hell do you know about quality coaches? That's one. Two, I know both guys. I know both guys mm -hmm. and I'm not yeah. trying to I'm not trying to pick okay either or one is good one is bad. No, sure. I'm sure. not saying that but I know Brian Dayball's journey. I've seen it up close. Yeah. I know yeah. Brian Flores's journey. I've seen it up yeah. close. Now if yeah. I look at the New York Giants and think about what they need. First of all, they don't draft. Well, <clears throat> Brian Flores started his career in scouting. He's a scout. He played at the highest level. He played D1 college football. They don't call it that anymore, but D1 college football. Uh, he was he had a number of coaching roles on a team that while he was there, it wasn't just because of him, but he contributed to it. While he was there, that team appeared in five Super Bowls and won three of them. His last year with the New England Patriots, he was a defensive coordinator. They didn't give him credit for it. That's the burden of being on Bill Belichick's staff. You're the D coordinator on Bill Belichick's staff. No matter what color you are, they always think he did it and you didn't. But he was a D coordinator on a team that allowed three points in the Super Bowl, was one of the top five defenses in the league, and he goes on to Miami and has had success as a head coach. Brian Dayball can't say that. So you can't objectively say, if you are in your right mind, you can't say that this guy is more qualified than that guy. And the last thing I'll say before I pass it back to you, I hope you got the train of thought back. Last thing I'll say is when Brian Flores and, and, and his lawyers say what we want is some transparency and maybe accountability uh -huh. on why you made your decision. How about some writing? Can you write it out for me? Can you tell me why you think Brian Dayball is more qualified than Brian Flores to coach? Well, Can that's you tell one me that? of the that's Can that's you one of the that's one of the demands that they're asking for, which we'll get to that momentarily. I but yeah. I really right. I really do appreciate that. Um, here's the thing, though. You can. And your points about the Giants and their history are well taken. You can argue that Brian Dayball is more qualified or a better fit for what you're looking for if you're Giants ownership, if you choose to. That's there are 32 different teams, 31 different owners, 30 of them, 30 of them white plus shy con. You can determine what your criteria is and maybe they're looking for an offensive versus a defensive guy for Daniel Jones as a for instance. Resume wise, there's no comparison, but this is what this is my point in saying that one can argue and there it's their right to make the determination who they think is the most qualified candidate, but it's not happening in a vacuum. And given the history of this league and the history or lack thereof of black coaches in this league, you can't do it independent of the discrimination. 
So even if the Giants are telling the truth, even if in their heart of hearts, they went through a fair process. The process has never been fair in general. And the uh, the field has never been level. In other words, the people going through this hiring cycle, the five, the four organizations who've hired white coaches and the five still to be determined are paying for the cent, the hundred year old sins of this league right now. You have no credibility to be able to say that right. you hired the most right. qualified Tell candidate for your coaching right. search. Right. So here, here right. was a thought that I lost. What's and I'm going back to something you said yesterday. We talked about how angry and disappointed you. I was like, this is a watershed moment. I'm excited. This is great. You were saying you were angry and I, and I felt some of that anger when I was reading the lawsuit because in 2022 and there, and there are some action steps to get to the point of ownership. We are still asking to be the HNIC at the end of the day. Like we're still on the head yeah. coach and coordinator conversation. Ownership is that final frontier. Okay. And there and, and there's discussions about how to how, how to diversify the ownership group. But below that, we're not even talking about team presidents. We just started recently talking about general managers and we got two of those hired this year. We are still talking about the fact that there is one person above the labor force that can call himself a head coach and still not enough coordinators to feed that head coach pipeline. But we are still clamoring just to be the HNIC. The other part I wanted to say real quick and we can go to break if you don't mind after this. The yeah. thing about watching all the things that you and I have talked about for at least the last 20 years that people have been writing about for decades that people have been complaining about for a long time is seeing somebody say the quiet part out loud seeing somebody air the dirty laundry, seeing somebody put a spotlight on all the things that's hiding in plain sight, seeing it in writing was extra powerful. Seeing it accumulated and researched yeah. and presented yes. was extra powerful. It really was. And, and the point I want to read is this. So paragraph 15, they talked about all the things that Stephen Ross asked Brian Flores to do, you know, to tank, uh, to tamper, um, and then, he, and then it ends by saying, after the incident, Mr. Flores was treated with disdain and held out as someone who was non-compliant and difficult to work with. Here's where it hits home. Right. From that point forward, Mr. Flores was ostracized and ultimately he was fired. He was subsequently defamed throughout the media and the league as he was labeled by the Dolphins brass as someone who was difficult to work with. That sound familiar? Mm. There this is, is reflective of an all too familiar quote unquote angry black man stigma that is often casted upon black men who are strong in their morals and convictions while white men are coined as passionate yeah. for those very same attributes. I'm done. Look, man, there it is. There it is. I got I got to tell you uh, two things. I know we keep saying as we go to break. We are going to go to break. Let, 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 let's, let's put the music on. But I, I would say that these two things. One, the, the statement. Remember that scene in Malcolm X where the student comes up to him and says, Mr. X, you know, I wanted the good ones. What can I do? He said nothing. Nothing. Walked off. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to change it. In 2022, I'm going to say, what, you, what can you do? If you're one of those, if you're one of those with that question, what can you do? Turn the statement into a question. What I mean by that is, 
Stop saying, that's not racist. And start asking, is that racist? Is that racist? That's one. And, and, and number two, man, Langston Hughes said it more eloquently. He said, I too am America. You know that poem, I too am America? I'll say it this yeah, way. I, I on behalf of, uh, uh, yeah, uh, 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 on behalf of you and other black coaches, don't act like you don't see me. Don't act like I'm not in here. Don't act like I didn't help contribute to this society. Don't act like that. Recognize what I've done. And so that's where we are. That's where we are. That's paragraph, where Brian Flores is making tense for a lot of people. Paragraph 50 paragraph 59 says for a league and its team owners who have profited immensely off the talent of black players. The NFL has never fully acknowledged its history of racism or taken appropriate steps to address its racial disparities. Mm. You mentioned Malcolm X. It's funny. I was thinking about that, too, because that's when I said chickens coming home to roost. I ain't old farm. I'm not an old, old farm boy myself, but chickens coming home to roost never made me sad. In fact, it only made me glad. It made Let's me glad. I got him suspended, though. I got him suspended. But you know what? It opened up a new a new vista for him. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I can't think of a better person to have to continue the discussion about Brian Flores' uh, lawsuit against uh, the right. NFL the Dolphins, uh, the Giants, the Broncos, um, then the co-author of Spencer Haywood's uh, biography, um, but also somebody who has just been an advocate um, for people like us, somebody who has, um, you know, led the way uh, as, as, as one of the leaders of the National Association of Black Journalists Sports Task Force, then, uh, then Mark J. Spears. Uh, from the undefeated. So Mark, I'll just I'll give you the floor, man. Obviously, you've seen and heard everybody talking about the Brian Flores lawsuit. This is a conversation that takes place in every office, but definitely in the NBA when it comes to double standards and opportunities for black coaches. What kind of parallels did you pick up on? What kind of themes uh, need to be hit the hardest here? Well, I think the NFL can learn a lot from the NBA, and that's not to say that the NBA still doesn't have things to fix, but they, they've made some major strides. Uh, I remember in 2016 sitting down with uh, NBA Deputy Commissioner um, Mark Tatum and also uh, one of their diversity executives, Ora Stewart, and we were talking about the lack of black coaches and black general managers in the NBA. And basically, one of the things I was pointing out to them is like, you know, the, the NBA could keep telling these teams what to do, but it's ultimately a league full of predominantly white owners who make these decisions, not the league. And, you know, Mark Tatum and Oris were telling me like, hey, with every opening, we give teams a list of people that they should talk to, whether it's for a head coach, whether it's for a general manager and why. 
and why these people are qualified. And we believe that in time, you know, this will change. So I, I would say in 2020, um, it seemed like this change was slow when the Chicago Bulls had a president opening uh, basketball operations and didn't interview anybody black. And they ultimately hired a black general manager, Mark Eversley. But I remember uh, a black assistant GM at the time telling me, you know, with the Bulls, you know, and with a lot of these openings, our best are, are not even as good to be considered as the, the worst white candidates. And then, you know, you saw last year, around a year ago, with David Vanderpool, associate head coach, who certainly paid his dues with the Minnesota Timberwolves, Ryan Saunders on February 22nd, uh, a year ago, uh, gets gets canned from the Timberwolves, and within hours they hire Chris Finch. And, you know, the, the coaches certainly were outraged, and, and a lot of players as well, like, what, what's going on here? I thought the NBA wants change. But then the summer came, and there was eight head coaching openings, and seven were filled by black uh, coaches. Um, now, if you can count Alvin Gentry, uh, there's 14 – African-American head coaches in the NBA and Gentry's in the interim head coach with the Kings. If you add the two, uh, the coach in, in Miami, who's uh, Asian and the coach uh, in Charlotte, who's Hispanic. Now there's 16. So there's been big strides uh, in the NBA coaching ranks. And now there's 11 black general managers in the N NBA and, and one black president um, in Masai Ujiri. Definitely would think there would be more black presidents and. Some may say some of these general manager jobs are really assistant GM jobs because they have presidents above them making decisions. But I, I would definitely give, you know, Tatum and Stewart kudos and the NBA kudos for at least pushing for change. And now we're actually seeing it. You know, Mike is, uh, has, has made the case before and, and said it again today that ownership uh, is the final frontier. We know about Michael Jordan. What, what is the NBA doing? when it comes to uh, African-American specifically ownership. And is that something that the league is getting behind as well as, you know, giving teams the, the list of, of coaches and general managers? How about ownership candidates? Yeah, uh, I mean, or there's partners. not a lot of that. Huh? Or, or even partners, you know, maybe not. Yeah. yeah, maybe. Yeah, just partnering with somebody. Well, I mean, these teams don't change hands too often. You know, the latest was um, the owner in, in, in the Jazz, uh, Ryan Smith, was in his, thir he's in his 30s. Very, very smart guy who actually is doing a lot uh, to bring diversity to the Jazz. Um, the Jazz have uh, some new black executives. They got Dwayne Wade as a partner owner. Um, and they also uh, have a black uh, psychologist with the team. They also have a scholarship program in which every time the Jazz win a game, uh, a scholarship goes to uh, a student primarily of a, you know, uh, under underprivileged circumstances, which oftentimes is a kid of color. So maybe even in, in the having a white owner, you're having somebody with more diverse ideas. And so that's what I like about what's going on with the Utah Jazz right now. Maybe some of them gets some of that stuff gets implemented in the league. I don't I don't know when another NBA team uh, changes hands, but to your point, Michael, um, you know, ultimately those decisions start at the top, and if most of the people at the top 
aren't you know uh, people of color or connected like the jazz owner is, then how do we expect change to happen? Mark, listen, uh, you got your hands full covering one league, um, but I'm asking about a connected league, and, and maybe you can kind of give me some insight into how the NBA supports or partners or, or, or acts as an ally uh, when yeah. it comes to uh, equal pay. Uh, yeah. You know, yesterday wasn't just Brian Flores using his platform. You know, Liz yeah. Cambage was like, wait a second, Becky Hammond gets a million dollars, but I'm paying out of yeah. my pocket to upgrade my flight from coach. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's the NBA's stance on the labor uh, issues and the representation issues for that matter? Yeah. Uh, diversity issues when it comes to the WNBA. Do they, do they, do they you know, stick their nose in those offices or they kind of like, you know, let them take care of their own business? How's that work? Well, I mean, they're essentially the same company, right? I mean, just yeah. just a different umbrella uh, of the company. And, um, you know, All-Star Weekend's coming soon uh, in in Chicago, Cleveland. So I'm curious to see what, you know, Adam Silver may say about that. Um, that's certainly interesting. And, and right now, too, uh, the WNBA has gotten has had higher viewership than it's ever had. Um People are getting more interested in the league. There's been some talk about expansion, even to Oakland, California. You know, we'll see what happens there. But yeah, I mean, um, uh, I, I think some would say, well, you know, the league isn't making money, which is why they they can't do what. I mean, they they just recently like uh, improved their salaries. Um, but when you come to stars like this and the plane stuff and. You know, you wonder why don't they have a private jet? Why can't that uh, be afforded? Or uh, you, you know, they're, they're, it's a it's a really interesting situation. But I, you know, kudos to Cambridge for speaking out. I mean, the WNBA players have been on the forefront about talking about the lack of diversity, voting problems, all kind of racial issues, and you know, hey, they need to, you know speak out about their own issues as well. So I, I certainly see where she's coming from and perhaps uh, th there can be some change in the horizon uh, for yeah. this league. And, and But, you know, hope that it sounds like too, like their collective bargaining agreement may not be the greatest agreement that they agreed to. Right. And uh, this is this is some of the effects of it. I mean, because bottom line, fellas, we know yeah. the, we know the sisters have never hesitated to speak up for us. <laughs> you know what I mean? To take great. up our causes, you know. So, go ahead, Michael. And and they've been they've been they've been great, especially uh, particularly in the last couple of years, man. I just I, I think Raphael Warnock every day. I know he's a, he's a pastor. Every day he should sit down and be like, "Thank yeah. you, Lord, for the Atlanta Dream," because that really jump-started his campaign uh, in his road to the Senate. Uh, let, let me ask you this. We're talking about ownership and workplace issues. I, I just, I'm just fascinated that there's, a, you know, as August Wilson said, two trains running. So on one train, you got the Phoenix Suns, 11 straight. They won 41 out of 50 games. They look great. Yeah. On the other train, their owner is under investigation still. It's gotten kind of quiet. I heard something about this anonymous line. Uh, for the employees uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago, what do you hear? Any buzz on this? Any word on the street about what's going to go? Uh, what's going to happen with Robert Sarver or what's happening uh, with Sarver? I, I think it's just uh, the, the 
the investigation is I actually like it because that means the investigation is going on without any any problems or appears to be. Uh, you know, recently I had some news about James Jones getting a contract extension as general manager of the Suns. And, you know, I asked him, like, why were you comfortable taking this job uh, under these circumstances or not taking the job, but getting extensions uh, under these circumstances? And he kind of alluded to, kind of danced around it, but just alluded to the organization at large. And I think under the circumstances, he, he probably is understandably gun shy and saying some things. Um, but to me, the fact that it's been quiet is good because that means uh, likely that the investigation is taking place. Um, people are comfortable speaking behind the scenes. Um, I know Baxter Holmes from ESPN has been doing a phenomenal job of reporting all this. And uh, I, I hope that everybody who's comfortable talking or, I mean, uncomfortable talking feels like they can figure out a way to get comfortable talking. So uh, just because it's quiet doesn't mean that it's not being worked on. And the one thing I will say about the NBA, they're, they're pretty, pretty diligent in stuff like this. So uh, I don't know when it's going to end, but I know the NBA is probably not uh, you know, cutting any corners and doing the right investigation. It's not like they got some transcripts um, from phone calls and won't let anybody read them or anything like that. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> All right, man. hey, Mark J. Spears, I, 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 I we appreciate the NBA it. is doing a great job at this investigation. I can't speak. No, for we caught that. We, league, we caught but, that. You know. yeah. Well, we appreciate it, man. Hey, keep up the great work. Uh, uh, word on the campfire is uh, you got a profile coming out about my new favorite player, Anthony Edwards. So one of my favorite writers and oh, favorite no, it's people. Out. It's out. It's already out. Can't look. It's out. I'm going to check no, that you out. Gotta read I'm going to check that uh, out. Yeah, man. He wants to be the best player in the league, and he's not afraid to tell you that. Hey, listen, he's on his way. He's already the best interview. I'm sure you got some great stuff out of it. We'll check that out, man. Hey, real Appreciate quick. You, brother. Love you. Who, yeah. Who's the best player after this generation, the best American player? Is it going to be Anthony Edwards? Who's the next American star? John Morant. Could be LaMelo. Could be LaMelo Ball. I thought yeah, Edwards was your guy. Serious pop culture. No, he is. I'm saying, but like you said, you asked several questions. You said, who's the next American star? I'm like, well, LaMelo's already a rock star. John Moran's probably the best of these three players. Anthony Edwards will be right there, though. I've never, I I was saying this the other day, Mark. I can't remember a number one overall pick. People kind of missing on the number one overall picks projection. Like, there were so many people like, oh, there's no real clear-cut number one. Or they're getting Anthony Edwards from Georgia. Like, oh, he's not that good. Dude's Dude's a star. Like, how do we no, miss on the nice. first guy taking in the draft? He's incredible. Yeah. So are you. Thank we you, brother. We got to get him you. on TV. Listen, Gab is on right, show right now, as far as I'm concerned. Yes, yeah, sir. Bring it All right. <laughs> All right, man. All be right, good. Mark Spears. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right, the, uh, the biggest story in the NFL uh, the last uh, 24 hours has been uh, Brian... Flores's landmark lawsuit, which 
could in fact finally bring about the sea change when it comes to head coach and general manager uh, and even coordinator opportunities uh, for coaches of color, black coaches in particular. Um, and there's a lot of ways to go about effectuating change. One is through a lawsuit in the courts. Uh, another is through the formation of the National Coalition of Minority Football Coaches, uh, which are our guest and, and now we call him friend of the show. This is appearance number two. Last time we had you on coach Michael Loxley uh, from University of Maryland. Last time we had you on, you were about to play in the pinstripe bowl. Your turfs handle business. Congratulations. But before we get into this, this conversation coach, you got to tell the people what we were talking about off camera. I asked you whether you preferred Mike or Michael because I know I go by either one. Michael Holly likes Michael. And you say call you locks, but I said, but we introduce you though. So we have, well, should we introduce you as Mike or Michael? Which do you go by? And you said, yeah, I said uh, I was advised a while ago, you know, in my earlier coaching career, uh, I ran into some trouble of maybe being a little hostile or maybe angry, and it was told that the use of Michael would soften the blow, and especially for me, if I smiled a little bit more and I used Michael, I wouldn't come across so aggressive. So. I'll go by Michael right now or locks. That is so, hey, locks. two things. One, that's real talk. Uh, two, you came to yeah. the right place. That makes three of us. Okay. <laughs> You're in good company. Uh, we, the glasses, uh, you know, like Leon on Kirby yeah. Enthusiasm said, the glasses helps for us, but sometimes yes, that exactly, doesn't help. Right. Which yeah. this is the, the perfect conversation to be having. These are the types of things that we have to concern ourselves with when it comes to conducting ourselves in the workplace. So I'll just start completely open ended. When you saw Coach Flores, uh, the news of his lawsuit come out yesterday, your reaction was what? You know what? I equated it to something that happens in the NFL. Uh, you know, when a play is called, coaches have the ability to throw a challenge flag, which then in turn forces the referees to go under the hood, maybe send it to New York, have it uh, analyzed and evaluated to get it right. Uh, I think what Coach Flores has done is thrown a challenge flag toward the hiring process of the NFL. And uh, let's see if we'll get up, get up underneath the hood and be able to evaluate a process that obviously, you know, the way it looks with nine jobs that were open and, and were over uh, for minority hires, uh, maybe they'll send it to New York and, and, and go in and figure out how to get it right, kind of like they do within the course of the game. You know, uh, Coach, I... I, I... Listen to Brian Flores. Uh, well, I read his statement, but listen to him today in, in uh, several interviews. And he said uh, he went to this interview uh, with with the Giants, knowing that somebody else had gotten the job. And and he was asked, "Why did he do it?" He said, "Well, I believe in the goodness of people, and I believe even though this th this job was locked up, I believe that hey, maybe I can change their mind." And you know, it really resonated with me because. I had a conversation, a text conversation similar to that uh, with, with Michael Smith after the show yesterday. Uh, I, I won't use the language, but I'll say, you know, sometimes you kind of feel like a sucker for believing and being hopeful and believing in the goodness of people. Do you understand where, where Coach Flores is coming from and how might you handle a situation where you know that the, the deck is stacked against you and, and you try to do the right thing anyway? Yeah, you know, as we evaluate the hiring process, uh, it's almost damned if you do, damned if you don't, because when you turn it down, uh, then you find yourself defending uh, yourself, kind of like uh, Jim Caldwell ended up having to put out a statement on his own that 
he allegedly turned down opportunities at jobs and and then those statistics go into well we tried to meet with certain guys and so I think it's uh, between a rock and a hard place for minority coaches uh you know the Rooney rule and his intent um you know sounded good but you know it's hard to have a rule um, when there's not a lot of context behind the rule and so uh, to me, it's more like a Rooney suggestion. And I just think that, uh, you know, as for minority coaches, uh, with these opportunities that are presented based on, you know, things like the Rooney rule, I think it does probably more more damage than good. I, I keep laughing when I think about the NFL statement yesterday. These accusations are meritless. Let the Giants, the Dolphins, and the Broncos speak to the specific accusations. But the idea of there being a problem when it comes to diversity in the head coaching ranks you have a rule that rule <laughs> mandates that you meet with black coaches in yeah. person and meet, that you meet with more than one. If you have a rule, right. <laughs> then that speaks for itself that there's a problem. <laughs> but coach, there's a there's many. There's a number of ways to address that problem. And one, as we mentioned, is through the court system. The other, in your case, is founding the National Coalition uh, of Minority Football Coaches. And there's and there there's more than one way so again, to bring about change, can you take us through your process? Like when when you decided that not only did you need to take action, but this was the kind of action that you were going to take as opposed to maybe a lawsuit or, or, or something else or what have you. I'm sure you went through a lot of different, uh, you know, iterations of what kind of action you were going to take. And also, coach, if I may add, knowing that there's a possibility that it could in some ways compromise your career, even something uh, like a coalition of football coaches? Yeah, I, I'm really fortunate, um, Mike, that I work at an institution where, you know, I have a minority athletic director that's my boss, as well as a minority president here at the University of Maryland, and we're in the richest minority area in the world. Um, you know, when I started this organization, um, I started doing it pandemic. I did some self-reflection as to where we were uh, from a football standpoint. I grew up during the BCA era uh, where the late coach John Thompson and Nolan Richardson and, and George Raveling and these guys really stood in the forefront to uh, bring some of these same issues uh, to light. Now, this, this organization is staying very football-centric, uh, but I think the genesis of our iteration of this, of the coalition, basically is that I'm, I'm always a solution-based person. I'm always looking for solutions. We all can tell you what the problems are, but what the coalition is here to do is to try to find and create solutions to these uh, issues in diversity and hiring, especially uh, in the collegiate uh, collegiate field as well as the NFL. And I can tell you, you know, we created an academy within the coalition this year in the college game. And by no means am I saying we got it right because we just scratched the surface a little bit. You know, we had 15 minority coaches that were part of this academy that we paired up with athletic directors like Barry Alvarez and Bernard Muir and Whit Babcock. And out of this group of uh, 15 or 13, I'm sorry, uh, individuals, you know, three guys ended up getting head jobs. Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame, Tony Elliott at Virginia, and then Jay Norvell moving from uh, Nevada to uh, Colorado State. And we also had a host of other guys that were part of this 15 that were finalists for a lot of jobs at the college ranks, but we have not been able to crack the code with the NFL. And uh, it's disappointing, especially when you look at, you know, right now, uh, the early hiring cycle for the NFL does not look good for us. And 
the coalition's job is to figure out why and try to create a pathway uh, to help improve this area. Speaking of disappointing, um, and I, listen, I know I'm being naive. Talk about believing in the good of people, Michael. Um, I sometimes I just like to believe in the common sense of people, but a lot of times they don't care how it looks. But the reality that we all recognized yesterday, as as black men, as black people uh, who live in America, um, we all recognize that Brian Flores filing this lawsuit probably ended his NFL coaching career, if not his coaching career in general. And I said, well, but if he if it did, wouldn't that be an admission, a tacit admission on the part of the NFL? Wouldn't that be the NFL telling on itself as if they actually care? Colin Kaepernick says hi. I say that to say, coach, as a coach, like Michael and I could see it from, you know, our positions and our experiences. But as a coach, how does it make you feel hearing that? And realizing that that Brian Flores may never coach again because he stood up to this system of institutional racism and discrimination. It's it's again it's disappointing, and you know, as an organization, we're monitoring it very closely. Uh, obviously, you know, he's put himself on an island. And as an organization, we want to be here to uh, lend support uh, as we monitor this 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 litigation that just started. You know, as an organization, again, we're based, we're here to be solution based. And it's unfortunate that he had to almost become a martyr um, to bring this issue to light again and again. And again, it's a lot like the dog chasing its tail. This isn't the first time, you know, when this happened yesterday, I went back and listened to the late coach Thompson when he was at Bill Clinton's sports uh, town hall deal in 1998. And he talked about just why did we have to be perfect to get head coaching opportunities? And he said, you know, really all we're asking for is a chance to fail like everybody else. And so, um, you know, as an organization, we're going to continue to try to be solution based. We're going to continue to uh, hold people accountable um, for, for their processes and in, in, in trying to hire uh, minority coaches. The collegiate game is a little fortunate because we have some bar- uh, parameters uh, and some things in place that kind of, reinforce that you do it the right way. But like I said, uh, you know, that challenge flag that uh, Coach Flores threw yesterday, it'd be interesting to see if they uh, go and review it like they do things within their games. Excuse me, Michael. I know, I know you want to get in here. I just got one more question for you, Coach, and I'm done. And I'll let Michael uh, finish up with you. I just had, I just had one more. Um, in your expert and informed and well-connected and, and, and plugged-in opinion, do you think other coaches will join this class action suit um, with Coach Flores? You know, it's hard to speculate, um, but I would imagine that, you know, if that's how Coach Flores feels, there's a host of others that have gone through the, uh, the car wash of, of the NFL system in terms of uh, interviewing. Um, it'll be really interesting, and that's something that as an organization, the coalition is going to monitor very, very closely. And uh, again, you know, with our members, uh, something that we need to find out. You know, uh, my, my final question for you, coach, uh, really is connected to coaching itself with you, uh, you know, with you or others that you've spoken with, because there seems to be, I mean, we know one of the, the obvious reason uh, we have a, a problem when it comes to black head coaches uh, in football. But I'm wondering, under that umbrella, are there some specifics? You know, 
In, in other words, have people shared with, have they been honest enough with you to share, hey, I had this misconception. I thought because you were a black head coach, you would fill in the blank or some of your colleagues who have said to you, man, can you believe this? This is what I had to deal with. Like, what, what are some of those? Uh, what's that story? Or what are some of those stories that you've experienced or heard about? Yeah, I mean, there's a host of them, Michael, in terms of, uh, you know, the coaches that are part of our organizations, coaches that are close friends of mine, and even members and, and people that are involved with the coalition. We've all have, have our stories to tell uh, in terms of uh, what we have to go through. Um, you look at just the history of the, the amount of opportunities and the time we get to try to turn programs around in relations to our, our counterparts, uh, not equal playing field. And one of the things we keep talking about is that this moving goalpost that every time we try to answer the question as to why we're not getting them, something else happens and, and the goalpost moves. And um, what we've got to do is just con continue to study this thing. Um, and again, continue to focus on being solution-based because, again, we all know the issue. We all know the problem. Sometimes we zoom in to fix issues, but I think what we all, all ultimately have to do is zoom out to be able to see the big picture of things. And, uh, you know, that's what the coalition is all about, and that's what we're, we were formed to do. Locks. We can call you Locks now. Uh, we appreciate you. Thank you so much. Hey, and I meant to tell you this the last time we had you. I thought about it afterward. I, you know, I was so focused on the pinstripe bowl and all of a sudden we're talking about, tell B. Stu that Mike Smith said, what up? Okay? Like, you got it. we all family. Please tell B. Stu that you talked to me today. I, I owe him a call. If you don't mind, that I'm is. Sure, I'm sure <laughs> we he, go back. I'm sure he's listening. I'm <laughs> sure right, he's listening. Shout all out right, to guys. B. Stu. Brian Stewart. All right, Coach. Thanks so much. We appreciate you. We'll talk Thank to you again you, Coach. soon. Thank right. you. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Michael Smith's definitive ranking of Tom Brady's seven Super Bowl wins. Well, I can't believe we went all this time, and I forgot to ask you about Dwight. Who? Dwight around your lip. <laughs> One more time. 55, 51, 36, 49, 38, 39, 53, 45, 47. Thank for the break. <laughs> oh, fun times, fun times, fun time. Michael. So look, so yesterday, um, <laughs> we we were responding for the first hour of the show to Tom Brady re officially retiring and how he retired, and then next thing you know, boom, Brian Flores. So yeah. uh, it feels like, hey, listen, man. I mean. You know, we we've given Tom Brady his flowers. We've talked about Tom Brady's greatness on any day that ends in Y. So you know, we didn't have to. We didn't. We certainly didn't wait till he retired to do that. 
but it feel like we didn't put a proper bow on the Brady is officially finished conversation because we spent so much time talking about the how, um, you know, um, that we didn't really get into the reality of the fact that, you know, the greatest to ever do it, last name ever, first name greatest, yeah. uh, is actually done. So, um, I'm sure there'll be other opportunities to talk about him, uh, but now that you've had a day to process and move past the craziness of the announcement uh, and the willy or won't and the podcast and Instagram posts and all the theories as to why and why he did what he did, um, I guess what's your what's your what's your big takeaway from Brady walking huh, away? Big takeaway, big takeaway, uh, Tom Brady. Tom Brady, number 12, uh, will no longer be under center. And we haven't said that. Um, we have really, we've never said that before in, in uh, the 21st century. Really? I mean, hey, yeah, I, hey, hey, let me, let me, let yeah. me interject this real quick. Let me interject real quick. Yeah, I'll, I'll promise to be quick. We had Matt Castle on yesterday, your colleague at NBC Sports yeah. Boston, his former backup quarterback. We had yeah. like, kind of like a, a, he's kind of like an exhibit, if you will, in the museum of Tom Brady. Because other than his ACL being torn in the opener of the 2008 season, and yeah. other than Deflate Gate or Deflate Gate suspension, his availability was probably, yeah. and this is saying something, his greatest ability. Like, he didn't just play until he was 44, he always yeah. played until he was 44. From the moment yeah, he yeah, took right, that yeah, job, yeah. he was, yeah. I mean, he just started every game. He was always there, he was never hurt. Even if he was hurt, he played through it. Maybe the toughest player to ever play the position. For a long time, that was Brett Favre. What, he's got to be one of the toughest players to ever play in the NFL, despite the yeah. rules to protect the quarterback. Yeah. It's hard to show yeah. up week in and week out and play at that level. We, all, we, we, we can't even scratch the surface of what he probably had to do in order to show up every Sunday or Monday or Saturday, as the case may be. Sorry. Or, you or, or just, that just, that just hit me in no, that no. moment. Yeah. No, I mean, it's great because it's a good it's a good place to start. You know, he played. Uh, so he played until he was 44. He'll be 45 in August. So that game you're talking about first game of the 2008 season. Uh, he had just turned 31. So his his last major injury was at 31 years old. So a 31 year old right. Tom Brady, if you Stop the career right there. Stop it there. Now restart the clock in 2009 where he's comeback player of the year right. and stop it around, uh, you know, 2013 or, or before the 2014 season. You know, it's like a little interruption there, a little, little intermission. 2009-2013, they hire Jimmy, they, they hire or they draft, same thing. They draft Jimmy Garoppolo and then 14 to the end of his Patriots career, it's another level and then Tampa. Yeah. The little postscript in Tampa. It's really amazing. So from 31 Three to 44, I'm good. I'm good from 31 yeah. to 44. Think about that. But all the things I could yeah. say, and I could do that list too. I think I did it that day. Where you're, yeah, the, the white around your lips. I think that day. I think I did a list as well. But that's not it. I say to me, the Tom Brady story is a story about relationships. Hmm. And, and it's a relationship, the most important relationship in his life right now, I think is what led him to say goodbye to football. But relationships with teammates, relationships with 
support staff, uh, relationships yep. with ownership, the front office. That is where Tom Brady was the most elite leader I've ever seen in sports. Just his leadership. It was a different type of leadership. It wasn't a I'm going to beat my chest and I'm going to, you know, scream the loudest and I'm always going to be reading people. No, and he just know, really invested in relationships with people. And you know, my, and it just it blew my mind. It blew my mind to see I'm it tempted, year after year. The temptation is to argue with that. You said, you said in sport, not you said not at the quarterback position, not in the NFL, not in, in you know, you said in sports that he's the best yeah. leader you've ever seen in sports. Yes, best. but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue with it, and not not just because you're of course entitled to your opinion, uh, your educated opinion, but as when you think about just the sheer number of players that are on a football team to begin with, and then you think about the sheer number of players and coaches who came and went over the course of 20 years in both New England and Tampa. And then you think about the nature of the position that he played. It's it's hard to argue that there was a more effective leader than Tom Brady. And there have been some great yeah. ones in the NBA and, and Major League Baseball and, and a lot of team sports. But if football is the ultimate team sport and quarterback is the most important position and here's somebody who played longer and better than anybody ever has is the most successful and accomplished player in NBA history uh, in NFL history. I beg your pardon because you know, mm -hmm. you know, I still can't quite bring myself to say he's the best player full stop. That still doesn't quite feel right. I don't know why. Well, I don't I know told why, you so why. Cause it's just, just the, it's just his job yeah. is different from Jerry Rice's yeah. job or Reggie white. You know, that's all Lawrence yeah. Taylor, but I'm not going for I'm not, that's not the hill. I'm a yeah, die. But that, yeah, but that yeah, leadership yeah. point, that leadership point is such a good one because you look at the guy and his and his picture coming out of college at the combine. We know what he looked like. We know how unathletic he was. He had a great arm, but he never had the strongest arm. He was never the most dynamic, the ne never the most nimble. He, I said he's one of the t he's one of the toughest players to ever play, regardless of position. The toughest quarterback to ever play. With apologies to Brett Favre. And he's the most self-made superstar that I could think of, just because of the things yeah. that he was not gifted with. Yeah, I think uh, in this here's a here's a term that you would usually use on the field, on the ice, on the court. But this is why I like his leadership. He has great balance. Tom Brady has great balance as a leader. So there are some things that he could do. There are things that he could take advantage of that he never did. He could take advantage of his position as a superstar and kind of bigfoot people in the locker room or bigfoot people around the facility. And he didn't do that at the expense of his teammates, although he did do that. But for his purposes, but it never affected the team. What do I mean? Well, he had a great relationship, had a great relationship, and probably it's in, you know, it, 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 they're working on it right now, I, I would think, especially after yesterday. I'll tell you about that in a second. Had a great relationship with that. Robert Kraft. No, no, I'm telling okay. you. No, 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 no. I got some, oh, I got news. I got news. Well, get, we'll get to it because we got to get to break, so don't uh, bury the lead. You, okay. You tend to well, bury I'm not going to bury the lead lately. That, You've been doing that a lot great, lately. Great relationship <laughs> with Robert Kraft. Yeah, great relationship with Robert Kraft, but, um, it was never like it wouldn't separate him from the locker room. By the way, 
I heard yesterday from somebody we both know, uh, Ted Johnson. Ted Johnson reports that Robert Kraft had a temper tantrum over this IG post. He was furious about it. Furious that the Patriots uh, weren't mentioned and that Kraft was not mentioned. You see Kraft Kraft put out a a beautiful statement later. Okay, uh, look. Uh, You played 9% of your career. Played 9% of your career. Then why'd you let him go? You talking? Then why'd you let him go? Because it was time. Why'd you underestimate him again? You took him 199. And then you underestimated him again. Don't be mad if he shouts out the team from which he is retiring. That's your breaking news that Robert Kraft threw a temper tantrum. That had temper tantrum. That's a a pretty good nugget because you dismissed it yesterday saying it's people in Boston. So you made it about the fans of Boston. Him too. Fans of Boston. Oh, they ain't all of them. All of them. All of them. The team too. Don't get mad. But don't get mad. You should have kept him. So but I don't want to talk about that. If you want him to retire with you, okay, fine. Go fine. ahead. We, we went over that yesterday. We went over that yesterday. I'll yeah. say this, and we can get better at this. You know, you talked about a tip from Matt. Ca- you asked Matt Castle yesterday. Hey, what's a tip that we could all mm-hmm. use from yeah. Tom Brady? And Tom, you know, and, and it's funny, and I, I just thought about it at this moment that mm-hmm. two guys are like this. Two guys that I've I've, uh, I've worked on books, uh, I've written books on. They both have the same quality. Bill Cowher is like this too. Bill Cowher sometimes will just pick up his phone and look at his text and either return every text he's gotten from players, mm-hmm. former players, coaches, or if it's not, he'll just look through his contacts and say, hey, I'm thinking about you. Hey, yeah. reaching out. Yeah. And Tom Brady does that. Tom Great Brady, there's so many people who can tell you that they've gotten texts from Tom Brady who are just saying, Hey, I'm just thinking about you right now. I love you. Love his his favorite his favorite phrase is "Love you, babe." He's a babe guy, mm-hmm. so yeah. he always yeah, says, no, we, "Love we, you, babe." We, we've heard that, yeah. So he he'll just he just reaches out to people, and it not just reaches out, but connects, makes connections with. Hey, I know you were going through this. A couple last time we talked, how you doing? What's going on with that? I mean, it's just the little things. And if you think, oh, that's not yeah. a big deal, think about how many unreturned texts. <clears throat> How many unreturned texts you have? That's that. Oh God. Okay. Um. Anyway. Uh. That's just a waste of time. Um. <laughs> so, I'll, I'm. 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 See, I was going. I was going to reminisce and go to. No, I'm not Return mad. I'm just annoyed. Texted. I'm not mad. I'm Return annoyed. Text. Um. I'm, let's Don't go back mad. to. Okay. Once upon a time, we didn't even had a text because we were always at each other's houses late into the night and well into the morning in franchise mode. Uh, just to kind of stay on brand, our brand, our brother from another brand, and nerd out over franchise mode. Michael, I don't care how many players you have created. I don't care how many diamonds in the rough we've drafted, how many people we've scouted and said, oh yeah, he's coming with us. How many, how many perfect prospects the computer generated? And listen, I told you a couple of years ago, Gardner Minshew was the goat in my Arizona Cardinals franchise. This is before they got Kyler Murray. I told you that. I, I show. I, sh- I sent yep. you the screenshots of his career accomplishments, and they, and and, and, and even then, Michael, they paled in comparison to Tom Brady. I mean, I, I think because you and I, as you said, we've been blessed to see it from the beginning, and because yep. he's been so ubiquitous in such an institution over the last twenty years, it is hard to truly. 
it's hard to not take for granted what we just witnessed over the last 20 years. How impossible it is to have that perfect a career. And it doesn't mean it, didn't, it wasn't met with adversity. It doesn't mean he went undefeated. Obviously, he didn't. It doesn't right. mean he didn't lose three Super Bowls, all of them exciting as hell. You know, uh, it doesn't mean that he didn't have controversy. It doesn't mean that he didn't have setbacks. It doesn't mean he didn't have, change, he didn't have to change teams. But, bruh, just gonna read a few stats, and these are courtesy of Axios Sports. Shout out to Axios. They do a great job with their newsletter every morning, okay? Seven time Super Bowl champion, five time Super Bowl MVP, three time NFL MVP, 15 time Pro Bowler, most passing yards, touchdowns, and wins. More Super Bowls than any other team has won in its existence, and he's appeared in twice as many Super Bowls as any other QB. I'm saying it fast, but like, let that sink in. Like, knock, knock, let that sink in. 35 playoff wins, more than second place Joe Montana and third place Peyton Manning combined. Only two teams, his Patriots and the Steelers, have more. In his 20 seasons as a so, full-time starter, more Super Bowl winning seasons than seasons that ended before the conference championship round. Won more games and threw for more yards than any QB taken in the 2000 draft did in their careers. Three Hall of Fame careers so, we talked about earlier. So, I mean, okay. the numbers, you could not simulate numbers right. in a video game that come close to being as prolific as his were. That's all I, I just want to stress that like it's you can't even truly comprehend what we just saw this dude do over the course of 20 years. It, it doesn't make sense. So so my question for you is what the hell's wrong with you then? If, if all that's true, what the hell is wrong with you? Why can't you call him the best player ever. I know. Okay. Yeah. Oh, different position to Jerry Rice, different position to Lawrence Taylor and Aaron Donald. But guess what? He's better than those guys. He has a different position. He's better. He's better. He plays you don't do all tackle? that stuff by accident. He plays he, wide receiver. He's better. He's better. He could have. He, he plays outside linebacker. He did. did he redefine outside linebacker? He, he redefined quarterback. The most important position in football. He redefined he, it by winning uh, did he, did at he a level the that nobody so has ever done. Than Jim Brown. And he did. He's great. He's like, great like, if, I, yes. I told you I wasn't going to yes. die on this hill, yes. but you're not going to crap on my yes. logic. He's, he played he's quarterback better. better. He he's had the better, most accomplished career better ever. Better than Jim Brown. But that doesn't. At, at what? They did different things. Longevity. Michael, 15, let me help you. We played 50, Michael, let me help you. 50 more years Michael, than Jim Brown. You and I do the same. You and I. No, I'm going to help you. Yeah, you do. You and I do the same thing. I'm better than you. That's apples than apples. Okay. If and I'm not gonna say that I'm better than somebody who does a different job than me just because we sit, play the same sport. That's not how it works. First you want to call him the best player ever? One. I'm not gonna argue with you, but you're not gonna say that I'm crazy for recognizing that other people play different positions, like Jerry freaking Rice, whose numbers will they never play the be same touched. Sport. They play here, here, two things. Okay, Mike. Two things that are obvious. Okay. Based on what you just said, okay. there are two things that are obvious. One, what? you don't look. You don't look at numbers. And two, I just delusion. rattled off. Because ain't no what, ain't no by no metric is you better than me. Are you out of your mind? You better go sit down somewhere. You better go get Sarah's glasses again and, and, and come back and do this and do it. Uh, uh, did I trick? Did I trigger minutes. you? Did I? Did I trigger you? Out of you? your mind. I just rattled off delusion. numbers. I once hosted a show called Numbers Never Lie, and you just told me I don't, I don't look at numbers. Yeah, his passing you numbers. Don't, the, what are his receiving numbers? Him. What are his rushing numbers? Looking, what are his pass rushing you're looking numbers? At him. Dude, why are you arguing you don't with me on this? The numbers. You don't My understand logic what you're is undeniable. At. You don't understand what you're reading. 
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right, we talked about Tom Brady. Let's pivot to another Michigan man. Well, for now, I guess he's always a Michigan man. I guess. Always uh, a Michigan Jim Harbaugh. Man. He's a Michigan man. Okay. All right. All right. Well, he, he may not be Michigan's head coach much longer. On National Signing Day, no less, Jim Harbaugh was in Minnesota today interviewing for the Vikings job. <laughs> Michael, I, I don't have a whole lot to say about this story That's because I, I'm confused. I'm confused. Number I'm one, not. it's National Signing Day. Yeah. So, what of the recruits? I mean, how does that work exactly? Number two, I still can't determine if this is still just leverage to try to get a better contract for Michigan, but he's going through with the interview, so I guess he's serious about his interest in returning to the NFL. I don't know for sure because I've seen a lot of reports. Do the Vikings want him? Is this uh, Quasi Adolfo Mensi? I, I, I hope I got his name right. Mensa. The new GM. Mensa. Mensa, thank you. The new GM yeah. uh, who's got ties to Harbaugh from their days together with the 49ers. Is this him pushing this? Um, do the Vikings really want him? Does he want the Vikings more than they want him? Meanwhile, in Miami, when Stephen Ross first fired Brian Flores, I was like, okay, that's messed up, but he's a Michigan man. So if he's going to get Harbaugh, I guess that makes sense, even though it's whack, but that's his guy and always been his guy. But wait, I'm not going to be the guy that takes him from Michigan, but you're going to let somebody else take him from Michigan? I'm like, what's, what's his role in all of this? But then I go back to it's National Signing Day. So he go, you just, if he doesn't get this job, he just gonna go back to Ann Arbor like ain't nothing happened. Like, oh, hey, what's up, fellas? All right, so yeah, where, where were we? You know, about Ohio State. I mean, what, what, what is, how does this work exactly? Look, Jim Harbaugh is not even trying to dance. He's not even trying to do that dance of, Hey, I love Michigan. Uh, I'm just exploring opportunities or I'm just looking nothing is good. He he's not even doing the dance uh, against the backdrop as you pointed out of National Signing Day. Now one thing if you're a Michigan if you're a Michigan fan, you know this uh, if you're a Big Ten observer, you know that the schools like Michigan and Ohio State and I'll put Penn State in that category too. There are some kids doesn't matter who the coach is. There's some kids who grew up in Michigan. They're going to go to Michigan. Uh, whether it's Jim Harbaugh or, or anybody else, uh, you know, uh, Lloyd Carr, Gary Moeller, whoever the coach is, they want to go to Michigan. And there's some kids who want to go to Ohio State. So uh, I'd say the bulk of their recruiting class is going to stay there, even though it's a new era of college football. We'll talk about that another day, this whole transfer portal. Uh, and, and guys will be out if, if it's not exactly the way they thought it was going to be. But the, the larger point is he wants to be in the NFL. It's clear yeah. if you're not doing the dance, then and you're, at, and, 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 and you're at your you're at you got the job. If you're not willing to dance for the job that you have mm -hmm. in hopes that you'll get the job that you're applying for, 
What does that tell you? I'm about to cough. Uh, I got something else to say, but go ahead. No, actually, let's go to break. Oh, yeah. That's a good no, time no. to go to uh, break. One more thing. Well, <laughs> I got one more thing. Uh, no, Roll I got one more thing. We do have other stuff to get to. Go ahead. <laughs> one, one say more it thing as we play on, on music. Hardball, though. I just say it roll the music, not roll another headline. Say it as we play as we go into as we go into break. Go ahead. I'll put the music on. I'm listening. Put the music on. Not that music. Great. The music playing, but not the music. Go ahead. A great hire for a rookie. He GM. would be. Or any GM. Agree. Deal's done. Great hire. Deal's done. That that that's the guy. Next head I mean, coach. He's got Minnesota a proven Vikings. track record. Got a proven track record. You're right there. And what, what, like what a Jim way Col- to hit it. Kind of like Jim Caldwell. Kind of like Jim Caldwell and Brian Flores. Got a proven track record. Again, and all the people who've gone through the interview process, I think, you know, a brother did it yesterday, the Giants D coordinator. Meanwhile, is it Harbaugh's is it earmarked for the job? Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Is, is Harbaugh earmarked for the job? Hey. Did we just see Patrick Graham experience what uh, Brian Flores experience? Yes. Mike, or, other, or other candidates for that matter. Yeah. Jim Harbaugh told the St. Paul Pioneer Press, I'm not confirming or denying anything. Wow, thanks. That was his quote. <laughs> is that on the which record? Is a com- which is a record? confirmation. Which is a confirmation. I'm not confirming or denying anything. Thanks, Jim. Got it. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Meanwhile, in the real world, some disturbing uh, news around our historically black colleges and universities. Uh, a dozen, more than a dozen HBCU campuses uh, were targeted with bomb threats yesterday on the first day of Black History Month. But it's not just limited to this month. Uh, you go back for, uh, for the last month when HBCUs uh, around the country uh, have been uh, the victim of, of bomb threats. And uh, our brother from another, Jason Johnson, Dr. Jason Johnson, is a professor at Morgan State uh, university and he's here doing his usual visit with us. So first I got to ask, how are you doing? How's your campus community doing? What can you tell us about this experience from a Morgan state perspective? And also as, as, as you're so, uh, eloquent at doing just what this means in the grand scheme of things, because bomb threats are nothing new, uh, to right. black people mm. in this country. So I, I'll tell you guys first, th- thanks for, for, for checking on me. It was really hard. It was harder than I expected. Um, and when I talked to my students yesterday, we had classes virtually yesterday because the campus was shut down. Their responses were sort of all over the place. There were, there were students who were afraid. There were students who were saying that, you know what, they were used to this, that they had gone to high schools where there were bomb threats. And I think that's important for people to understand. We're not talking gun violence anymore. I have college freshmen who are like, yeah, this is the second or third time that I've been in the school where somebody threatened to bomb it. I'm not unused to this. But I think the Mm. even larger thing that I picked up from it was the sense of an overall attack on black people. Because as you guys know, and I certainly know teaching there, 
every single black student in one of my classes at Morgan, they have a brother or a sister or a friend or somebody else like that who's at another HBCU. So it wasn't just they woke up and saw an Instagram message from Morgan saying, hey, classes are canceled virtual today because we had a bomb threat. They were getting phone calls from their friends from FAMU. Yo, did it happen there? Their friends from Spelman, their friends from Hampton, their friends from Morehouse, all of these different campuses. So it felt like an assault on all black institutions of higher education at once. And that's where a lot of my students were really concerned. Um, and, you know, it's a testament to where we are as a country that white people who are bigots are emboldened enough that they want to start black history off attacking black institutions in large part because HBCUs have been doing so well on a lot of different areas over the last six or seven years. Yeah, you know what, Doc, you called this before too. You said uh, a couple years ago, you said, look, it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse before it gets better. And some of these things are happening. Now, uh, tell me, is it going to get worse before it gets better in the National Football League? Big news yesterday from Brian Flores, you know, what were your thoughts when, when you heard that when you heard that news break? Uh, my thoughts were this guys and and I I talked to a source of mine who actually knows Brian Flores. They've actually worked together and they were like he he's the one they're like this. This is the guy when he was fired. My source said to me that there were people who were extremely upset in the Dolphins organization. There were players who were in rage-filled tears about his firing. And there are other people in the organization who said, look, he's going to get back at this organization about this, either by getting to another team and going 13-3, and 14-3, or by suing and burning this whole thing down. So I am happy for what he has done. As you guys know, I've said here, he never should have been fired to begin with. I wanted him to get hired by the Seahawks. He's a great defensive coach, and he can beat Sean McVay. He's the reason that the Patriots beat the fantastic greatest show on turf Rams and held them to three points in the Super Bowl. He's clearly qualified. But I think the bigger issue here is that we all know how racist as an institution the NFL is. But what he's also exposing is the corruption. If this, if he can prove, and I'm sure he doesn't make the allegation if he can't prove it, if he can prove that Stephen Ross was trying to pay him $100,000 to take games, that's Tim Donahue times 1,000. There's no way the NFL yeah. can, can bury him if he's got basically game fixing going on in addition to racism. It's very interesting you mentioned that because I was thinking it, it's similar to the Washington football team investigation and how it exposed John Gruden and his lawsuit may expose even more. It may fly open, fling open the doors of whatever closet the NFL skeletons are in. Right. You know, he's he's got not just his personal receipts, but all the receipts of 100 years of systemic racism mm. and corruption. The one thing I'm actually going to look out for is Brian Flores is taking one for the team. There are five openings left. My man filed this lawsuit on the same day. He did an interview, I think, with the Saints. Does right. somebody in the NFL say, yo, we can't go 0 for 9. Not under these circumstances. <laughs> we will convict ourselves if we do this. Uh, but we got to move on, though, man. Listen, um, you mentioned the Rams. Yes. And they are in the yeah. Super Bowl. So I want you to stand yeah. by and get this work because I literally had smoke from Michael Holly the other day. I got some for you too, player. Listen at yourself. The reason I deserve to flex, the reason I deserve to puff on this cigar, the reason I could take okay. another victory lap with my LA Rams is because I remember you telling me that Matthew Stafford was not a winner. I remember you telling me that the Rams were crazy and were disrespecting Jared Goff. 
by shipping two ones, a three and golf to Detroit for Matthew Stafford, who had not won a playoff game. I had to endure you and Doc Johnson calling him Stat Padford. I remember I you telling that. me. I never called him that. Yeah. Well, you laughed. Pad Stafford, who keeps throwing the Quandre digs like they had practiced back in Detroit. Look. This game was the quintessential example of what happens when you can have mediocre talent with a good offensive scheme. I cannot wait to see Sean McVay fall on his genius rump when he's got Matt Stafford there getting hurt in the pocket because he's no better in a clean pocket than Jared Goff is. Don't think I'm blind to what the Rams are. I am not at all convinced. I, look, they're a good team. They got Jalen Ramsey. They got Aaron Donald. They got the poor man's Jared Goff, Matt Stafford. They got all these things. It's wonderful. I have a tremendous amount of faith in the Los Angeles Rams to throw at least two touchdowns in the form of a pick six to the Packers when they face them in the playoffs. So that's what I that's what I think about the Rams. Please. Can I? Yeah, we like Brian Flores. All, we got receipts. We got receipts too, just like Brian I just Flores. Say, this has become y'all an annual thing. Well, I talk smack about the Rams, and y'all get a compilation <laughs> at the end of the season <laughs> that I am forced to observe as I But here's the difference this year. I'm going to say this. Here's the difference. Number one, I give you credit, Michael. I was with you. I woke up Sunday morning. I called one of my boys, my boy Jason in, in Atlantic. This is my witness. I was like, I think the Bengals are going to win. Like, I, I felt oh. Sunday morning that the Bengals were going were gonna, to were gonna win it. When it comes wow. to the Rams, I was at the game. I was at the game. Mm -hmm. And what I will never, ever back away from is that it took one absolute screw-up by a San Francisco 49ers defensive back that changed that game. Matt Stafford sailed the ball like Popeye the Sailor, <laughs> like Sinbad, and it fell right into this right. guy's bread. Right there. And, he, and, and, and suddenly he was playing, he was playing volleyball. He just bounced it back up. Oh, if he catches man. that ball, the game is over. And Pad Stafford is the same guy he's <laughs> always been. So I have not changed my position of course you have at all. Of course you have it. I'm so, simply wait, saying. Wait. Hold on. Are you going to pick the Cincinnati Bengals to win the Super Bowl? Are you going to pick what the I'm Bengals to win is, the Super Bowl? What I'm going to say is this, gentlemen, and hopefully if you guys, if we're, all, if we're all here at the same time, I will tell you this. We're all here because I'm, I'm still deciding if, if I can even go to this game, if it's going to be the Rams involved since they're going to be there. I, I would not bet against Cincinnati right now. I don't believe in Matt Stafford. Look, I saw that game. Of course saw, you don't. I, I think we've established that. Was, I think we've established it's that. <laughs> it's, it's quiet. I mean, everybody was quiet. When, when the San Francisco 49ers went up by 10 points, people thought that game was over. The only person who could be, the only person who could save that game for Matt Stafford was Jimmy Garoppolo. So if you face a team that is remotely competent, <laughs> I see there's a very decent chance that the Rams could end up losing. But I will say this. Congratulations course, to OBJ. Congratulations right. to OBJ. Congratulations to Aaron Donald. Congrat congratulations right. to Von Miller and all those veterans right. who are basically. Good morning to everybody Tyler. but Matthew Stafford. Exactly. <laughs> basically, what you're saying. Everybody but <laughs> hey, Matt Stafford. And, 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 and you know, and you know where Russell Wilson is again this year? In no, the sweet watches. Same as last bowl. year. Get out of here, Jason. Get out of here. Oh yeah, okay. That's where he wants to be. Yeah, he He's wants to make Pro Bowl. Bowl. That's I'm the goal. Okay. All right. <laughs> Later, man. Later, Thank guys. Thank you, Jason.
we, we've talked a little bit. I think more will happen uh, in the days to come. But, yeah, the, these guys have been very upfront about the whole thing. I was talking to John yesterday just about, uh, you know, finding the right destination and uh, whatever, you know, the future holds, just doing it the right way. And it's, uh, you know, got a long career ahead of me. So I'm trying to – I'm excited about it. I'm excited about the opportunities to come. I just want to go to a place where, uh, you know, whether, where they want to win. I mean, that's really what I'm in this game for. I, I'm here to play football, here to win football games. And as long as I got that and uh, good people around me, I think the rest will take care of itself. If we knew exactly what was happening, we would have told Jimmy. Um, but this season just ended. And this is, I mean, we got a great young um, quarterback who was a rookie. And we have a great quarterback here who's a veteran. And, you know, we've had Jimmy here for um, five years. Um, and he's got to play in two of those seasons fully. And, you know, before this year, it was only one out of four years. And that was our big worry going into it, that we could not go into another year where he didn't make it through. And he only missed one game this year. And in the two years he's played, he's taken us to a Super Bowl. And he's taken us really close to the NFC Championship game. So I got the ultimate respect for Jimmy. And I'm very excited about Trey. Um, and that's where we're at right now. I mean, Jimmy's made it a lot harder because he stayed healthy um, and he played like he is capable of playing, which is to me one of the better quarterbacks in this league. Um, so we're in a tough situation where, not a tough situation, you're in a situation where you gotta make some tough decisions um, that won't be easy, but it's, um, I'm happy about that. Um, that means you got the best scenario going and that's why we gotta put a lot of thought into this and you know, John and I talking to Jed and everything and um, Jimmy will know everything as we go. <laughs> I, I, I was just looking at at John Lynch the whole time, Michael. Yeah, me because too. I, I, me too. John Lynch was probably saying to himself, "Man, your ability to bullshit is unparalleled." Like he was well, sitting uh, there, but, like, "Wow, but that it sounds ain't. convincing." But, but, but not really. <laughs> I think, but not really. We, what we learned. I mean, but what we I learned thinking, last year. John Lynch should have kicked him under the table, like, "Dude, you're saying too much, and it doesn't make sense." You're saying too much. No, well, it, well, it does make sense if you're if you're posturing. What we learned from last year, if nothing else, is not to believe a damn thing that comes out of Kyle Shanahan's mouth, specifically as it relates to the quarterback position, either who he's yeah. drafting or who he's playing. So we know to take that with less than a grain of salt. All I'll say to you is this, because it, it sounds like even from what Lynch said or what from Garoppolo said, it sounds like the Niners, despite what Kyle Shanahan said, do not agree with me that there should be a place on this team for a guy that you've won that many games with, even though you gave up a lot of picks, we know, to get Trey yeah. Lance. And yeah. if Trey Lance's upside is superior to that of Jimmy Garoppolo. All I'll say to you is this before I pass it to you. I thought the old saying was, the old saying is, I'm sorry, one man's trash is another man's treasure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I keep reading and hearing all this stuff about Jimmy Garoppolo and his trade market and how many teams could use Jimmy Garoppolo. That, that math ain't mathing for me. Y'all told me Jimmy Garoppolo was garbage. So how come you telling me that the Niners were being held back and, play, and winning in spite of Jimmy Garoppolo and yet this is robust trade market for him? Help me out here, bro. Right. I, I, I will help you. You just said it. The old saying is there for a reason. One man's trash is, is another man's treasure. So, but y'all but told so me he was just trash. That's what y'all told me. That, he, that Garoppolo just trash. And, and trade market for, okay, look, if you're desperate, uh, it's the Ritz cracker thing, isn't it? And you haven't, <laughs> you know, you take a saltine. If you're desperate, you don't got Please, nothing. one more. Please, one more. Yeah, Please, one yeah. more. 
<laughs> you don't have a quarterback right now. You know who'd love to see uh, Jimmy Garoppolo put in the feed is, is Tampa. Tampa doesn't have a quarterback, really. Uh, yeah, they do. So he, they got a guy they took in the second round last year. Garoppolo, why would you put him in an offense that pushes the ball end of, downfield end of, the way Arians? It was the end of the second does. round, wasn't it? It was the end of the second round. It's well, yeah, because like, they won the situation. Super Bowl. He'd be going, but he'd be going to he the same situation. So he'd be, yes, he does, because Tampa is perfect for him because he's got people around him. He won't have all of them, but he has got playmakers around him. They have a him. vertical passing uh, game. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. He'll okay. be he'll be that fine. Seems conducive he'll be to fine his style. But I would okay. say, if if Jimmy Garoppolo were so great, all the stuff that uh, Kyle Shanahan uh, said, and you called it right, it's BS. If he really felt that way, Trey Lance wouldn't be a 49er. But Trey Lance is a 49er because he doesn't feel that way about Jimmy Garoppolo. Probably likes him, probably has great respect for him, and feels that Garoppolo took them as far as they could go, and Trey Lance will take far. them further. Yeah, but it's not... not maybe, not he takes him, maybe he takes them further, but more see, consistently, and easier. Yeah. You know what I mean? Maybe their but ceiling yeah, you, is, is closer to a contender. I mean, because, again, it's facts. Two years that he's played, the last three, they've gone to a Super Bowl and lost it with a 10-point lead and gone to an NFC Championship okay. game and lost it with a 10-point lead. So I, I get it. I see, get the, the see, track record. The see, body work speaks you, for itself. But to say you, that they can you, go farther right. with Trey Lance, that's saying a lot because there's not much farther to go than where they've gone. All I'm saying is don't tell me how bad Jimmy Garoppolo is, but then tell me how many teams could use Jimmy Garoppolo. In my opinion, if a team wants, if, based on what y'all told me about Jimmy Garoppolo, and you're only as funky as your last cut, we saw what he did at the end of the game, against the Rams. Yeah, we did. I see Jimmy so Garoppolo as nothing playoffs. more than a he's a stopgap. He's not he's not he is not a oh, we're the Bucks. We want to continue to contend. So, let's you know, lose Tom Brady, plug in Jimmy Garoppolo and you know, keep it pushing. Uh-uh. Garoppolo is this rookie, a la Trey Lance, ain't ready to play. So, we going to play Garoppolo, let him learn from Garoppolo. If if Garoppolo got more than a one-year deal somewhere, or if he got, he'll, he'll get traded. So if he, he's got to have some kind of contract that's not, you know, big in terms of cap, but also that's not like where you're not committed to Jimmy Garoppolo long term. If somebody commits to Garoppolo long term, then either they or y'all got some explaining to do. Because all y'all telling me is the Niners would be better off with anybody other than him. Y'all told me he was a bum. So I'm just confused by the whole thing. Well, what say well, you? Well, they. They have a lot of explaining to do. I, and look, Jimmy Garoppolo's performances speak for themselves. It, it's nothing to explain. You saw it. You saw his. You saw his whole postseason, right? Quarterback rating, lowest the, quarterback the rating in the, in two the postseason. Yeah, they, didn't throw for a bunch. Didn't throw for a lot of yards. Did, uh, didn't do much situations. Year, made years ago. really stupid yeah. throws, turnovers. Yeah. I mean, that's that's pretty much what he is. He's a guy who he's a system. You know what he is? He's a system quarterback. He's a system. Then quarterback. why are you putting him in Bruce Arians' system? When you say system, what you mean? You mean somebody he just needs system. talent, or so he needs he, to be in a certain you system? Got, you you got to be in a certain system. You got to be in, you got to be surrounded by uh, great talent. And Tampa still has great talent without Tom Brady. Tom Brady made but it go, and so does you San want Francisco. Jimmy Garoppolo taking the downfield chances that Tom Brady took, sure. or, or Jameis Winston right, before him? Sure, no nah, man. Sure, He's, he needs sure. to be in Why a not? traditional West Coast, quick hitting, get the ball out of his hands. Well. Okay. That's too predictable. Okay. You know what else? Is, so you know what yeah. else is predictable? How you continually shout out Super Bowl losers, man. I I, I don't like that about you. Like you always. You don't you like know, that about. Oh, me. Buffy. But I don't. I don't like that about you. That you shout out losers. Uh, they lost the Super Bowl. Losers. Ain't, ain't no. Yeah, losers. In the last, the the last two teams. 
They won a lot of games to get to the they're the they're losers. So Great. who are you, Ricky Bobby? Yeah, first you your last. You want a cookie? For that? <laughs> I mean, that's huh? you okay. Huh? All right, I, 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 I appreciate yeah, that. Okay. Hey, you got hey, the you, Super Bowl. You finish, you, finish, you finish second on every show we do. You finish second every day we do this show. So what does that make you? Exactly? In your, in your, by your metrics, by your metrics, but you know you're delusional. So <laughs> by any it. objective measure. <laughs> the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.